alumni and honored guests, welcome to another episode of the Miskatonic Alumni Association. I'm Bill, and with me, as always, is the man, the myth, the legend, Terry. Terry, I have to ask you, do you read Sutter Kane? Well, thanks for asking me, Bill. Sutter Kane has always been top of my to-be-read pile, as I'm sure he is in your list of reading priorities. So, what do we have in store for the ever-illustrious alumni today? Well, today we are going to recommend and discuss three, count them, three classic horror films that, while not direct Lovecraft stories, are very Lovecraftian in their approach. Well, Lovecraftian is certainly a loaded, an overused word around the internet, especially as we saw with Lovecraft Country, right? Oh, yeah, oh, that's for sure. It seems as if anybody who's vaguely familiar with um, HPL, or, you know, as we call him, insists that anything they encounter is Lovecraftian for even the most extraneous reasons. Does the term Lovecraftian even have any meaning these days? Yeah, it does, you know, and I think it's up to us to elaborate as we go through these three movies. Well, that certainly sounds like a worthy undertaking for a pair of intrepid YouTube slash podcast heroes. However, since we have none available, I fear it falls upon us to make the attempt. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, may great Cthulhu have mercy on our souls. And without further ado... Let's dive straight into our discussion of John Carpenter's Apocalypse, Apocalypse Trilogy. Trilogy, Trilogy, Trilogy. <laughs> okay, so we'll be starting off with The Thin, um, and then Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. This is John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy, and it's not an actual trilogy in the sense that the films are a continuation of the same story. Instead, it is a set of three standalone films that tell stories set on the brink of an apocalypse that will bring about the end of the world. The stories, locations, characters are all varied, but every form carries the larger-than-life visual and audio aesthetic that could only come from a master such as John Carpenter. These three forms have admittedly varying quality, yet all have a cult following that has only grown larger with the passage of time. They are widely considered by fans of Lovecraft to be some of the best movies to capture the feel of the old gent's particular flavor of cosmic horror. And I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. Uh, if you frequent any of the Lovecraft social media sites or the message boards and forums, uh, you'll see these three movies on this list mentioned time and time again, um, anytime anyone asks for a movie recommendation, uh, which is why we're also treading this familiar ground by recommending them right here. Okay, so how about we break them down one by one in chronological order? Let's give our guests a brief, spoiler-free introduction of each film, followed by our thoughts about why it is Lovecraftian, and more importantly, why it's worth watching. Sounds like a plan to me. Um, so I guess that means we're kicking it off with the 1982 classic, The Thing. 
opening with a terrified dog being hunted across the frozen tundra of Antarctica by a helicopter full of crazed Norwegians. Is there any other kind? And starring John Carpenter's spirit animal, Kurt Russell, and the living embodiment of awesome Keith David, the movie tells the story of the brave men and zero women of the U.S. Antarctic Research Program Station as they face an otherworldly threat. Paranoia begins to dominate their every thought as they realize that not only might horror be hiding around every corner, it might also be hiding inside their fellow team members. Trust no one in this intense and atmospheric horror masterpiece. So, Terry, why do we recommend this movie? Well, if there's any film that managed to capture the essence of a Lovecraft story, then I think it must surely be the thin. A sense of dread and constant fear pervades throughout the film from start to beginning. Mm. Well, not to mention that it is heavily influenced by one of my favorite stories at the Mountains of Madness, with our cast being isolated in the frozen wilds of the North, with only Jon Snow to hold back the tide um, or perhaps I'm, I'm crossing the streams here. That might be Game of Thrones now that I think about it. But this, I guarantee, has a much better ending. What I mean to say is that the setting and the creature at the heart of the thing's plot are very closely tied to Lovecraft's story. I think it's also interesting to look at the ending of the movie as being somewhat in the style of Lovecraft in that our hero slash heroes are left with no hope of survival. Yeah, none at all. I, I couldn't agree with that statement more. I think that despair is key. And, of course, any film that features someone's head pulling away from its body and growing spider legs is surely Oscar-worthy in my book. Well, the second film in the trilogy is Prince of Darkness. And it features a shift of sorts from the frozen tundra to a more religious setting? Indeed. And the church in this film is the center of an evil that will soon emerge and consume the earth. Like Cthulhu, but with a slight Christian twist of Satan thrown in for good measure. Released in 1987, this movie was made by John Carpenter on the spot, using the cast members who were slowest to leave after the filming of Big Trouble in Little China wrapped up. The story features a priest inviting a physics professor and his students to a secretive church to investigate a mysterious cylinder containing the ooze from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And let me tell you that this film has everything people want in a horror movie. Repeatedly vomiting water into people's mouths, a corpse reanimated by beetles, an ancient demon that's stoked to have a Commodore 64, and a homeless Alice Cooper. Sounds perfect to me, no, but I know that what makes it even better for me personally is that this features the best actor ever, Donald Pleasance. But how does this tie into Lovecraft and the trilogy itself? Well, I think as you stated before in the beginning of the video, um, this is only a sequel in the thematic sense that 
there's some great terror that'll bring about the end of the world. Uh, however, this one, more so than The Thing, seems like it could be the plot of one of Lovecraft's books. I mean, there's an ancient slumbering evil that's about to awaken, a mysterious religious order that may be trying to prevent this from happening, an equally mysterious group of cultists or possessed people who are waiting to herald the arrival of said evil, and the fact that dreams play such a huge role in the story. Uh, there's a lot about this movie that, on paper at least, would seem to be right up the alley of any Lovecraft aficionado. I have to say that of the three, I personally felt this film was the least Lovecraftian for me. It didn't grab me as much as the other two films, but once again, that's mm. some of a personal opinion, right? Yeah, to be honest, I, I have to agree with you. Um, as I said above, this movie sounds perfect on paper. However, the actual presentation is lacking. Uh, I've mentioned to you before that I revisit this movie maybe once in every seven years or so, just to see if my opinion will change. And each time I'm left with the same unsatisfied feeling. I mean, I don't think it's terrible, but it's not one of Carpenter's strongest efforts, nor is it nearly as good as the other two movies in this trilogy. So, speaking of which, that brings us to the final film, In the Mouth of Madness. John Carpenter seems to have turned it up to 11 with the casting in this film, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, even Ben-Hur himself stars in it, <laughs> alongside Sam Neill, Jürgen Pronschnau, and David Warner. There are four <laughs> lights! A veritable cornucopia of talented delights for a film fanatic such as myself. So, how about, once again, you give us a brief summary of what occurs in the film, Bill? Sure. When famed horror author Sutter Kane disappears, the publishing company hires insurance investigator John Trent, played by Sam Neill, to find out what happened to the vanished storyteller. On top of that, it becomes clear that there is more than meets the eye as readers of Kane's works start going mental as if they had actually read the Twilight series instead. Initially believing it's nothing more than a publicity stunt, Trent literally puts the pieces together and discovers that there may be truth to Sutter Kane's fiction. What follows is a headfirst dive into an H.P. Lovecraft fan's wet dream as we learn about not only the horrible things that happen when fact becomes fiction, but also what happens when you listen to Eiffel 65's Blue too often. Have you lived any good books lately? I think that while we have the creature from the thin and a brief glimpse of the demon in Prince of Darkness, uh, this film might be the first time we see monsters that almost seem to have come verbatim from the pages of Lovecraft himself. Indeed, yeah. Even Sutter Kane's novels have similar titles to H.P. Lovecraft's stories. Uh, you have The Whisper in the Dark, 
which is the whisper in darkness, the thing in the basement, or the thing on the doorstep, Haunter Out of Time, which is like a mix of the Haunter of the Dark and the Shadow of the Time, and the Hobbs End Horror, or H.P. Lovecraft's The Dumb Witch Horror. Uh, the, f the film is probably the strongest love letter to the works of H.P. Lovecraft out of these three, and I think it's the most heavily influenced by his work. Yeah, and I know the, the character of Sutter Kane can also be seen as being loosely based on a more modern master of horror, uh, Stephen King. And I think that one of the themes of Lovecraft that is handled really well in this form is that of insanity. Sutter Kane's descent into madness, as well as his ascent into something more, and the way the story is told in a flashback, are beautifully woven into the Lovecraftian plot of the film, and make this movie one you'd be crazy to miss if you haven't seen it already. So, Terry, how about as our final topic on this? Um, why don't we just both riff a bit on our thoughts as, uh, as a whole on this trilogy? Well, I think for me personally, like I'll go through them quickly, uh, just give my thoughts on each of them and then hand over to you. I know that um, for me, before we recorded this, I gave you my thoughts that the first and third films, namely The Thin and In the Mouth of Manners, have been the two strongest of the three, both mm. um, in terms of their Lovecraftian feeling and their actual merits as movies. I know John Carpenter is very much um, a definition of like, uh, a cult movie slash pulp movie director um, and I think those two forms highlight that particularly well while at the same time being love letters to influences of his um, with both like the thing being a mashup of science fiction plus a tiny bit of Lovecraft thrown in um, I know especially that opening scene as you still told me uh, ties in very well with that the mountains of madness especially like the setting you know they're stranded in this like cold wasteland far away from civilization and uh, after we were speaking recently about it I know you brought up uh, a form with a similar um, <laughs> setting, Alien vs. Yeah. Predator from, I think, 2004. So, Around um, there, yeah. With the happy Yule time spirit of Halloween that just passed us by, I thought I'd actually rewatch that. So that was one of my Halloween forms. And I can see what you mean. Like, definitely the setting of both those movies ties in nicely with that form. Um, Prince of Darkness, I don't have much to say about. I think it does, it, it does okay for what it is. Um, but it didn't speak to me much. Like I didn't really feel much Lovecraft in that. Third form in particular, I felt, especially with that wall of monsters that like mm. erupts uh, towards um, Trent and the viewer towards the end of the film and the whole sort of um, craziness of this end of the world thing, that very much speaks to me of a Lovecraftian story as well as like John Trent's uh, insanity in that film and how he finally sits in that movie theater at the end and starts cackling insanely to himself as he realizes he's a, a character in this film and story actually, which is perfect. So for me, three films um, I love, but not equally as much so with only one gingerhead stepchild thrown in the middle there for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if, if I could just add a little bit more too, again with At the Mountains of Madness, I too just a couple days earlier went back and watched Alien vs. Predator uh, just to see how, how much it 
struck me as at the mountains of madness and it does the opening's really good but it doesn't have that lovecraftian heart that the thing has and the thing is all about that that unknowable terror that that monster that you just can't comprehend and every time in fact that you see the monster it's different it's always doing something different reacting differently um just the way it is and i think what works in its favor are the practical effects uh it, it does things so viscerally and just so kinetically that cgi cannot do at least not at its current level and it still impresses me that the movie is about 40 years old and it looks that good and the the quality of effects are that good and creepy and disgusting and it, it's just the right balance of gore and grossness and just subtle horror mixed together that I think also with the cast makes it the best film out of these three. Uh, the quality is just through the roof. Um, Prince of Darkness, same thing. The thing I love the best about Prince of Darkness are the dream sequences. I, I think those dream messages and those slight glimpses of of whatever it is before the the dreamer wakes up are really creepy are really spooky that that whole uh old timey now uh video camera footage style view of the dream and that really deep droning almost inhuman voiceover message that comes in dream are are so good it's just heartbreaking that the waking moments of the film are pretty much boring there's not a lot going on the scene doesn't really change they're always in the same very bland beige colored church interior no matter what they're doing so it, it's it's probably the ugliest movie and has the most potential but it's wasted potential and ending with um while i said the thing was probably the best movie and i still think is the best movie i think in the mouth of madness is my favorite simply because it just feels so much like living a lovecraft book and i know it mixes lovecraft with stephen king to make this new type of world new type of character but just all these little details like every time you watch it you could see something small that you didn't see before and you're like that reminds me of a lovecraft story that reminds me of a lovecraft story there's just so much to appreciate as a fan and even listening to the dialogue you you hear just snippets about what's happening in the rest of the world while the story's taking place and you get this dread feeling that something bad is going on in the world but you don't really get to see it and again, that, that really fits in with a lot of the concepts and horror in his story. So I think that's all I have to say about it. And I, I, um, I just highly recommend these movies, even, even as you said, our, our beloved ginger-haired stepchild, uh, middle child of the trilogy. I still recommend watching it at least once. 
Yeah, I think um, the last thing I want to say is really about two things. The ending to the thing, oh, that is perfection for me, the, the ending scene of that film. Like, whether or not you're into Lovecraft or uh, John Carpenter's movies or sci-fi horror or anything, if you're into films as an art form, that ending, perfect. And the third form, if you're a fan of Lovecraft, I, I almost think... In the Mouth of Manners is a must-watch. It's something that like stands up there with uh, Frank Darabont's uh, The Mist as like a very sort of... That, that again is another perfect melding of Stephen King plus some Lovecraft, like far and above what yeah. was in the actual book, right? So definitely those two, go watch them. You, I'm sure you'll thank both me and Bill later. Please do. I think that's about it, right? Right, Terry? Yeah, so... I think, uh, as, as is our tradition, before we close off, let's, you know, perform our ritual incantations and scream cultish cries of exaltation to the great old ones, who in this case are the guys yes. and the girls of the Howard Philip Lovecraft Historical Society, who have inspired and supported us from the very beginning. Yeah, the HPLHS, uh, I can't say enough wonderful things about this organization. Uh, really, I regret it took me about 13 years to finally pull the trigger and join them as a member. Uh, some of the most creative, wonderful people and their support for for what the whole community does in the realm of Lovecraft is astounding. And if I can, since we're just a, missed, we just missed the Halloween window here, uh, the HPLHS had a brand new release on Halloween. They've released one of their Dark Adventure radio theater dramas, the newest drama, which is one of Lovecraft's um, collaboration stories, The Curse of Yig. And we're going to discuss the Dark Adventure Radio Theater in an upcoming episode. But this newest episode that they rushed out um, for Halloween. And they, they've been putting out a couple episodes this year, but it's hard with the lockdowns because of the pandemic. But they're still managing to pull it all together. And it, it's, it's really impressive. It, it's another home run by the HPLHS. So I recommend anyone who hears this or is watching this uh, check out Dark Adventure Radio Theater and like I said the newest one The Curse of Yig um, you're not going to regret it so yeah. if um, if you don't have anything else to comment on there I, I just want to uh, uh, maybe say our, our usual uh, message to our dear viewers if you have any feedback um, that you would like to give us um, feel free. I mean, let us know. Um, just anything you would want, just send us a message. Tell us. And how could they do that, Terry? Well, personally, I prefer they communicate through the ancient language of Ryla or with outer oh, signs and other runes of power. I mean, we all <laughs> learned that in primary school, right? Um, yes, however, we would also accept comments on the video in the YouTube or voice messages on the podcast. And you can find the link, obviously, if you're watching this YouTube, there's the comment section, but you can find the link for the podcast um, in the actual notes if you're absorbing this through your oral receptors. Yes, but we also have our Instagram page. Uh, we use that um, frequently to post... Um, 
tutorial videos and photos of the ancient ceremonies that you could perform at home if you'd like um, to materialize why the ancient god of the cosmos in your room. I mean, we, we got you covered there. Uh, perhaps to share a cup of tea with um, Nairlathotep um, during these days of lockdown and isolation. But um, with that, I think uh, we've finally reached the end of this episode. So um, be sure to join us next week for another thrilling tale of adventure and horror in the world of H.P. Lovecraft. Lovecraft.